Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this week I'm going to be discussing 10 hard lessons I've learned in video production. If you are in video production in any form or fashion and are doing it as a business, this is a great podcast to listen to as I'm going to break down 10 things that I had to learn the hard way early on in my career, and I hope that by discussing these today, you can avoid some of the same mistakes I made. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. All right, guys, before we jump into the podcast, I want to mention the Filming with Josh Facebook group. You've heard me talk about this on the podcast before. If you're not a member of the group, be sure to hop on to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join it today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a great place to come and learn more about video production, photography, editing, and the business that goes with it all. We've got a great community of people there, and I'd love for you to join them. I also want to mention the film school that I have coming up this summer. Uh, say summer. It's like late spring, early summer. It's actually May 17th through May 19th, and it's in Wimberley, Texas, which is just outside of Austin. This film school is a three-day-long film school, and all food and lodging is included in the cost. It's $1,200 for a ticket with a $600 deposit, and the three days that we will be there at this hunting ranch, we're going to be filming and editing a commercial for this ranch. So if you're wanting to learn more about how to make better outdoor videos, this film school is very unique and is a great place to come to learn how to make a video from concept to final production. We only have 20 tickets available. In fact, we've already sold a handful of them, so we have less than that available today. But if you want to come to the Filming with Josh Film School this spring slash early summer, <laughs> um, be sure to send me a PM uh, or send me an email at josh at rusticriver.media, and I'd love to see you there. I want to talk also about private lessons. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I came out and announced that I'm going to be start doing private one-on-one lessons for people who want to learn more about video production, photography, editing, things like that. Um, since I made the announcement that I'm going to start doing these private lessons, I've actually um, done quite a few of them. And what they are is essentially they're online FaceTime lessons where you just send me a PM on Facebook or on uh, Instagram, or you can email me at my email. And you essentially just tell me like, hey, I want to learn more about color grading. I want to learn more about um, lens choices and which lenses I should get, or I want to learn more about um, f-stops and how they affect depth of field or whatever it is that you have questions on. You can um, put something together that lets me know what it is you want to learn, and we just reserve an hour or two or however long, and uh, we pick an evening, and we get on FaceTime, and we go through, and I teach you what it is that you want to learn about. So if you want to have some private lessons, they're very affordable, and I'd love for you to uh, contact me so I can help you learn more about whatever it is that you need to learn about. Yesterday, my wife and I did a commercial shoot for a dentist office in uh, Austin, Texas. And basically what we did, and, and it's not like a TV commercial, but we did 
essentially a one and a half to two and a half minute long video that's going to be put on their website, social media sites, things like that to kind of showcase the office, the people that have been there and what their testimonials are, as well as um, to give out information on essentially what all is covered at this dentist's office. It was a fun project and my wife and I have actually shot now at several dental offices. Um, I think this was the third one. So we, we're <laughs> starting to get a knack for um, shooting dentist videos in the Austin area. And I, I, I really enjoy doing it. I've kind of got a real good feel on what types of shots to get when working on dentist videos. And uh, while I was there doing it, I started thinking about what I wanted to do for my podcast this week. And I was just thinking about that while setting up my equipment. And it kind of occurred to me that there are a lot of things that I have learned over the years that I'm really glad I learned, but I had to really <laughs> learn it the hard way. And so I thought today would be a good day to sit down and talk about 10 specific things I've learned the hard way um, when doing this full time. And so I just want to go through this list. And if you are in video production, you've probably ran into some of these things over the years. And if you are not, or if you haven't ran into any of these issues, then I feel like this is a good thing for you to listen to because there's a lot of things that goes into video production, both um, technically and on the business side. And so for me, I, I really hope that I can talk about things today that might resonate with you, or if they don't, that you will pay attention to. So maybe you don't make some of the same mistakes I've made over the years. So without further ado, let's jump into the first thing I've learned. Early on, I learned in my career not to be arrogant. When I first started doing video production full-time, I was fresh out of college and I was traveling the world. And man, I just I thought I was I thought I was the man. Um I also thought I knew a lot, and I guess I did. I knew quite a bit um, for someone who was relatively new to video production because I had, I had spent countless hours researching and learning about video production and practicing things and screwing things up and then fixing what I screwed up and learning from it. So I, I knew quite a bit, but I got a little bit too big for my britches, if you know what I mean. And one day there was a shoot I was on for a project. We were uh, bear hunting. And we were basically, we were set up in tree stands, bow hunting for black bears. And the person I was filming asked me if, and this is for a TV show, but he asked me if I had swapped out the batteries in the wireless mics. And I looked at him and I was like, duh, of course I did that. I mean, you think I'm stupid or something? You know, like that was the look I gave him. But I said, I said to him, I said, you know, I did, you know, I'm, of course I did that. I, I know to do that every day. But in reality, I had not changed the batteries in the wireless mics because I was a little arrogant and I thought that I could get and squeeze more battery life out of the wireless mics than I guess I actually could have. <laughs> um, because I had been my experience that I could get two or three days worth of battery life out of a pair of AA lithium batteries. And we were only on day two with the batteries, so I didn't swap them. I didn't think I needed to because I thought I knew better and then I could get two to three days out of these batteries. So rather than change them, I left them in there. I was a little lazy and I was a little arrogant and I did not swap the batteries out. Well, God kind of had the last laugh on that because in the evening time, the 
a giant black bear came out, and I'm talking late evening, right before we were done hunting, and we were. De- it was definitely a shooter, and no sooner did he come out than did the wireless mic batteries on the receiver die. <laughs> it was the it was the perfect storm. I had to dig into my backpack to try to find extra batteries. And the guy I was with looked at me. He's like, what are you doing? We got to shoot this bear for the show. And I I told him, I said, man, there must be something wrong with these batteries because they died on me already. Um, <laughs> that was because I didn't want to admit that I did not do what I said I had done. I did not swap out the batteries. And so I had to dig into the backpack and find some spare batteries and swap them all while this black bear was coming in to get something to eat. And I was sweating bullets. It didn't matter that it was like 30 degrees outside because I was sweating like crazy because I knew that if I didn't get these swapped, that my goose was cooked. Fortunately, I was able to get the battery swapped quietly and quickly without the bear noticing, and we were able to harvest that bear. But I almost, man, I almost paid for that. And it was because I was arrogant. I was arrogant and I didn't swap out the batteries like I had been told to do uh, early in the morning. I was arrogant whenever I answered and told them that I had swapped them out. I lied about it. And I almost cost us an opportunity at a trophy black bear for a hunting show. And we were out of state for it. And so it could have been a really big problem. I got lucky and I was able to clean up my own mess. Um, But the reality is, is that I was arrogant. And looking back, that was years and years ago, but I'm really glad that I've grown up from that. And now today, I'm not too, I'm not too arrogant to admit if I made a mistake. I'm not too arrogant to uh, listen to advice from people. And I've, I've learned that I don't need to, I don't need to be too big for my britches. You know, I don't need to not listen to people when they give me advice or ask me questions because the reality is, is that I don't know everything and I need to pay attention to what others say and I should have done it that day. I got lucky. It didn't cost me my job, but it very easily could have. So one of the big lessons I first learned was not to be arrogant. Another lesson I learned was to always know your equipment and to learn your equipment before you use it for a paid shoot. I talk about this sometimes, like I've talked about this with gimbals, you know, don't don't take a gimbal out in the field without knowing how to use it forwards and backwards. And I truly believe that. And one of the reasons why I believe this is because when I was doing a video for a Christian school, I've done several videos for this Christian school here in my town locally, but the first video I did for them, I knew I really wanted to get a high dynamic range shot, so I wanted to use S-Log in my original Sony a7S camera. But I had never practiced using S-Log. I knew nothing about it. I just knew that I could squeeze out more dynamic range from the camera by using S-Log. So I, without practicing at all, put the picture profile in S-Log and shot some really important shots with it. I got home and I loaded those shots in the computer and they were extremely noisy and it was because I did not take the time to learn that S-Log footage should be overexposed by one to two stops. And traditionally, I had been underexposing my footage slightly for my regular picture profiles to preserve highlights. So not only was I not overexposing my S-Log footage, but I was majorly underexposing it and so my shots were really grainy. 
for the few shots that I shot in S-Log. And those were really important shots and I had to use them for the video. Um, so I had to run a lot of noise reduction and I had to spend a ton of time trying to get them to look halfway decent. And I got them to look okay, but they look nothing like what they could have looked like had I taken the time to learn how to shoot and color S-Log footage. I just didn't take the time to learn it. I should have learned that you should overexpose your log footage by one to two stops. So that was a lesson I learned the hard way. And so now, no matter whether it's with a gimbal or a drone or a remote-controlled slider, it doesn't matter what piece of equipment it is that I get my hands on, I learn that piece of equipment inside out, forwards and backwards, 10 ways a Sunday because I want to make sure that whenever I use that piece of equipment that I truly understand what it is I'm doing with it. Otherwise, it might end up causing more harm than it is doing good. And so I just, I feel like that's a great lesson to have learned. Fortunately, it was uh, not a very big problem for me, but I learned it kind of early and I'm glad I did. And so now I learn all my equipment forwards and backwards before I ever take it out on a shoot. Another lesson I learned was always to monitor audio where it's actually being recorded. This is a very important lesson, and I learned this one the, the hard way. I was on a shoot early on in my career. It was one of the first big projects I ever landed back when I was in college. It was for a pond and lake management company, and I did a really good job with the project. I, me and a friend of mine, we shot the heck out of this thing. And we spent several days traveling this pond and lake management company all over East Texas and the southernmost part of um, Louisiana. And we were able to capture really great content that talked about like uh, digging and creating, building lakes and stocking these lakes with bass and things like that. And it was a really great project. And one of the things we did during this project was sit down and shoot a lot of interviews for uh, or with the owner of the company. And these interviews were extremely important because they were what was going to drive the commercial. And so, or not the commercial, but the promotional videos that we were making. So these interviews were basically the foundation of this entire project because we were doing like six videos and all six of them had to have really good interview audio. Well, I've... Ever since I first got into video production, I've always been willing to go the extra mile on in interviews. I light them and I run multiple microphones and things like that, and I've always done that. But early on in my career, when I was working with only DSLR-style cameras, I was using what's called a Beach Tech audio preamp adapter or something like that. So Beach Tech audio preamp is essentially what it is. And what it was is it was this device that mounted underneath a DSLR style camera and it allowed you to have two XLR inputs uh, phantom powered and then it would run those two XLR inputs into the camera and it would record that onto the camera into two separate audio files. One would write to the left channel and one would write to the right channel and you just split them in post. And so it essentially it allowed me to have preamps, it allowed me to have phantom power and it allowed me to have two channels of audio. And so I was able to run like a shotgun mic and a wireless mic and things like that and and power them through phantom power and have two channels of audio recorded straight to my camera. And I really liked using this um, Beach Tech preamp because it, it worked really well, but I was not monitoring the preamp when I first got it. I was not monitoring it through 
the headphone jack on my camera, I was monitoring it through the headphone jack on the preamp itself. And this is where it bit me in, in the back. I, I was on the shoot doing the interviews for this company and monitoring the audio through the audio adapter and everything sounded great. And I had switched a switch on the audio adapter thinking that it was going to give me a little bit better audio, but I didn't realize that what this switch, and I don't even remember what the switch does because it's been so many years ago, but essentially what this switch did was it created a high pitch whine in all my audio. It didn't do it in the audio I was monitoring on the adapter, but it did it on where the audio was being recorded, which was in the camera. So I thought I was getting outstanding sounding audio. I had no idea that the audio I was recording was actually um, mixed with a real high pitch whine. And when I got back home and started working on the project, I went to look at the interviews and I about had a heart attack. It sounded horrible. There was no way that it was salvageable. I contacted every audio person I knew. I tried to find people that could help me fix it and everyone came back and said the same thing. There is no fixing the audio I had recorded, it was that bad. Uh, fortunately, I had happened to run a Rode VideoMic Pro on top of one of my cameras that I was using, because it was a multi-cam shoot. I happened to be recording the interview with a Rode VideoMic Pro, but I had only done that so I could sync my audio up in post. Um, but I ended up having to take the audio from the camera that recorded with the VideoMic Pro shotgun mic and use that as my interview audio. Well, anybody who's ever put a Rode VideoMic Pro or any type of shotgun mic on top of a camera that's filming an interview knows it's not the greatest audio by any stretch of the means. In fact, it's pretty bad because shotgun mics are designed when used for dialogue to be close to your subject pointed at their mouth. Mine was like 10 or 15 feet away from my subject, maybe more. So the audio was echoey and not very powerful and, and just didn't sound all that great. But there was no way we were going to be able to go back and redo these interviews. So I had to take that audio. And I'm really glad I did record that audio because it was the only audio I had that was even close to being usable. But I had to take it and massage it in post. And tr I was able to pull something that was salvageable and put together audio for the interview. And my client ended up not really noticing that anything was wrong with it to him. He could hear what he said. So it worked. Um, but I knew as a producer that the audio did not sound anywhere near what it should have. And it was because I wasn't monitoring the audio where it was being recorded. I was monitoring the audio on the Beach Tech preamp. And so that was a lesson I learned the hard way. And so now I know that no matter what I am recording with, um, I should always listen and monitor the audio on the place it's actually being recorded Two, and this is one of the reasons why I tell people don't get an A6300 or A6500 Sony mirrorless camera and use it as your main camera uh, that you're recording audio into because you can't monitor the audio on the camera unless you're recording your audio into like um, uh, a recorder like a Zoom H5 where you can record in, uh, into the recorder and monitor in the recorder. If you're, unless you're doing something like that, I would not get one of those mirrorless cameras to be your main video camera because you can't monitor the audio on those mirrorless cameras where it's being recorded. So even if you put a shotgun mic or wireless mic on it and the audio levels look good, you have no idea what you're actually recording. Even if you are using like a, a Sony, for instance, a Sony um, wireless system that's got a, a headphone jack in the receiver 
where you can monitor the audio in the receiver directly, even that, you can't trust that. Because even though you're monitoring the audio in the receiver, you don't know what it actually sounds like in the camera where it's being recorded. So the lesson I've learned is don't work with anything that won't allow you to monitor the audio where it's being recorded. And always make sure that that is the spot where you're monitoring your audio because you might end up coming home with audio that sounds like crap. And Fortunately, I was able to get something salvageable out of it, but looking back at that video today, it makes me cringe on how bad the audio really was because I had to use the Rode VideoMic Pro's audio, and that, that was really there to be a scratch track. Not It wasn't there for me to, to use as my actual recorded dialogue. So that was a lesson I learned the hard way. Another lesson I've learned is to hire experience guys and don't cheap out to save money. And this is a really important thing for me today. I, I'm willing to pay when I bid out a job that I know I'm gonna need maybe a second or third shooter for or sound guy for. I'm willing to budget in to pay for a pretty experienced person. And the reason is, especially on important jobs, and the reason is because I have hired guys that were very affordable and it's cost me in the end. Now look, if you're listening to this podcast and you are newer to video production and you are one of the more inexpensive guys out there, this is not a knock against you at all. And by all stretch of the means, you need to be able to get experience and you need to be able to um, charge for the work you are doing. And so there's nothing wrong with being new to video production and, and being early on in your career and not being one of the more experienced guys. However, if you own a video production company and you are like me and you're doing bigger scale projects, unless you're able to help the person that you're hiring, if you are hiring someone for an important position on a shoot, you need to make sure that they've got the experience to be able to handle what it is that you've hired them for. And I learned this lesson the hard way. There was a gun manufacturer that hired me to do um, a video for them several years ago. It's like five years ago or more. And our job was to shoot a drone out of the sky with an AR-15, capture the whole thing on camera, and put together this video that was supposed to be about, you know, shooting down drones or something. And it was supposed to just be an attention grabber online. Um, but the drone we shot down was uh, a $3,000 drone. It, I think it was the original Inspire, which cost like 2500 or three grand back when it first came out. And he had bought three different, the guy who owned the company had bought three different Inspires so that we could have multiple ones if we needed them. But he really wanted to try to get everything done in one take, um, as you can imagine, because it was expensive. And the goal was just to was just to capture this drone being shot out of the sky and um, a guy putting an AR-15 together to shoot the drone out of the sky. And I knew I needed to get multiple angles of the drone being shot down so that we could... Um, have different angles to work with when editing and post. And I also knew I wanted to get it all done in one take. Um, so I hired some guys to help me with the project that were a little bit more inexpensive. And I did it because I wanted to save a little money so I could make a little bit more because this I knew what the budget was this guy had for the project. So I thought, man, I can just hire some inexpensive guys. All they have to do is just get the shot in focus, have it exposed properly, and that's it. And so I paid for some cheaper guys. I had them come help me with the project. And uh, yeah, they completely ruined their shots. They overexposed their shots, and uh, one of them had it completely out of focus, and it was pretty terrible. 
Fortunately, I happened to have one shot I could work with, but the other shots were really bad. And I ended up needing to use those angles, so I had to cut to these overexposed shots, and uh, it looked really bad. <laughs> and I paid for it because I should have made sure that they were better than what they um, came across as. And I should have spent a little bit more money and probably hired a little bit more experienced people for this job that was um, it was a pretty well-paying job. And I, uh, I paid for that because my client wasn't overly happy with those shots and it was my fault. It came down on my shoulders because I was the one who hired the people that, well, ended up not quite being qualified to handle the role that I hired them for. And so now, ever since then, and that was several, several years ago, it was like four or five years ago, and ever since then, I always make sure that whenever I'm doing a project, if I've got an important role that I need to hire someone for, I always get someone that I feel is qualified to handle that and I'm willing to pay extra to, to have that person because I would rather lose a little money on the job and have a quality product that my client is uh, is happy with than I would cheap out, uh, pay less money, get a little bit experienced person and... Uh, get not as good a video and maybe potentially upset my client. So that's a, that's, that's a lesson that I had to learn. Another lesson that kind of goes along with that is not to be afraid to be real with your crew. This is a lesson I learned recently. I did a five camera shoot for uh, a university not that long ago. And one of the guys I hired for the shoot, um, who I had hired for a similar shoot the year before, and I liked his work, that's why I hired him again. He, for whatever reason, just could not get off his phone during the during the shoot. And we were recording a bunch of different um, speaking events, and he was texting nonstop during the entire thing. And I saw him texting um, across the room at this event center that we were shooting in. And there was, there was five shooters total, but this guy, I kept watching him, and he kept getting on his phone and texting and not paying attention to his camera. And what it ended up being was he would put his camera in autofocus, um, frame up the shot how he wanted it, and then just sit there and text the whole time until the guy was done talking and, or, or the speaker was done speaking. And I actually had a couple people come up to me and ask me why this guy was texting during the shoot. And I told them I wasn't sure, and I kind of mentioned it to him in passing. I was like, hey, man, could you pay a little bit more attention to what you're doing and maybe stay off your phone some, um, but he didn't really pay attention to me. He kind of was like, dude, I got it all under control. Everything's fine, blah, 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 blah. And I should have been harder on him. I should have been real. I should have told him that, hey, I paid you to be here and I need you to stay off your phone and I need you to do the job I hired you to do. Um, but unfortunately, I chose not to be real with him and I just kind of was like, hey, man, could you tone it down a little bit? And uh, I ended up paying for it. Because even though I have five camera angles I to work with, I really wanted to make sure all five were good. And unfortunately for me, about half of his shots were out of focus because guess what? The autofocus and his FS5 just I didn't do a very good job of locking on to these people that were speaking. And anybody who owns an FS7 or FS5 should know that the autofocus in those cameras are is not very good. But he chose to be kind of lazy with it. And he... Um, put it in autofocus knowing it wasn't all that good and chose to stay on his phone the entire time rather than to uh, focus manually like a professional should do. And I paid him a good amount of money to be there. And uh, unfortunately for me, about half of his shots were out of focus. And so there were a lot of times I could not cut to that fifth angle when I really wanted to. 
um, I was lucky because I, I, it didn't end up affecting the project too much, but it could have. And that was a lesson I learned the hard way. And now if I hire someone to be there for me, I'm going to be hard on them. If they're on their phone or they're not doing something that I need them to do that I'm paying them to do, I'm going to be hard on them because that's, I mean, that's what I'm paying you to be there for. So yeah, the, the fifth lesson I have is don't be afraid to be real with your crew. My sixth lesson is to always keep a hard copy of your footage, even if it's not your project. I, today, will not take on any project, any project at all, if I don't get to keep hard copies of the content. Now, about 95% of all the work I do is projects that I am producing from top to bottom. So I'm keeping all the files in-house because they're my projects. Um, from concept to, to final production, my company's hand, handling everything. So I always have dual copies of all my content on hand, and I have dual copies of all my content for eight or nine years on file here, at, here in my office. However, every once in a while, I'll take a freelance job for like an outdoor TV show or something like that to where I'm just there to be a shooter and I'm handing the files off to them when I'm done. Typically, in that situation, the TV show or whomever it is that you're working with wants you to hand over all the files and that's it. And a lot of times you don't get to keep a copy. Well, for me, if I can't keep a copy, I'm not taking the project. And here's why. Several years ago, like th I guess it was like three years ago now, I took a freelance job for a TV show whom I will not name, an outdoor hunting TV show. And I showed up for the shoot and it was on Easter weekend and I already, I, I already had chose to be there rather than to be with my now wife and her family because it was a pretty good job and I really, I was happy to be a part of it. And uh, so I chose to skip out from being with family on Easter weekend to go freelance for a few days. And while we were on the job, what we were doing is we were hunting and um, filming a pig hunt and, or several days worth of pig hunting. And every time we would go and recover an animal that we had harvested or a pig that we had harvested, I would have to take my shotgun mic off of my FS7. I'd have to unplug it and take it off the camera. And the reason was is because I would have to put a light on top of the camera. And when I had a light on top of the camera, the, the shotgun mic, the light would cause create a shadow from the shotgun microphone sticking out um, kind of in front of the light and the shadow looked pretty bad so I would every time we'd recover an animal I would and we'd go to to get it at night because uh, we were doing a lot of evening and nighttime hunting I would take the shotgun mic off the camera and just film the recovery with the wireless mic well the host of the show who also edits his own episodes had just recently before he hired me for the project um, switched to editing on Premiere Pro and had switched to a new computer. He had been working with Final Cut before that. And after the job was over, he paid me a deposit for the job and he was supposed to send me a check after the job was done. And after the project was over, he contacted me, contacted me like a day after the shoot and told me that there were, was no audio in any of the recoveries. And he cussed me out, man. He cussed me out so bad saying that I had ruined the entire show because there was no audio for any of their recoveries, and he told me he wasn't going to pay me. And 
I knew for a fact there was audio because I monitored the audio in the FS7 and when I transferred all the files to duplicate hard drives for him, his own personal duplicate hard drives, I played all the files back before I wiped them from my um, XQD cards and I had listened to them and I knew that there was audio on the recoveries. But since I didn't have a copy of those files, I had no way of proving it. So I got in a big argument with this guy and I was like, dude, you're going to pay me. I'm, I did the job and I know the audio is there and I don't know what you're doing wrong, but I know for a fact the audio is there. And he goes, well, unfortunately it's not and I'm not paying you. Well, I told him that if he didn't send me a check, I was going to take him to small claims court. And I hate to be that guy, but at the end of the day, you know, this was, you know, it was worth a couple thousand dollars and I needed the money and I'm not going to not get paid for the work I did. So after I told him, I said, look, I'm going to take you to small claims court if you don't send me one of those hard drives, not a copy, but one of the hard drives that I sent um, the files to you or saved the files to. If you don't send me one of those drives so I can see it for myself and you don't pay me, then I have no choice but take you to small claims court. Well, the guy sent me one of the hard drives because he didn't he didn't, he wanted, I think what it really was is he wanted to prove me wrong. Um, but he also, I think, didn't want me to go through with that. So he sent me one of the hard drives and plugged it in my computer and bam, all the audio was there. Everything was exactly how it was supposed to have been. It was great. And so I contacted him and I, as soon as I got the hard drive and, and saw that the audio was there and I said, hey, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm looking at the files right now and all the files have have the audio on the recoveries. So I don't understand why you're not seeing them, but it's right here. And he said, prove it to me. And I said, how do you want me to prove it? And he said, well, export one of the clips and throw it up on YouTube on a private link and send it to me. So I did, and he saw it. And he's, his response to me was, huh, I'm not sure what's going on. My house must be sitting on some kind of Indian burial mound. There must be some voodoo that doesn't let me hear the audio. And I was like, <laughs> to that response, I was just like, what? I was I said, look, man, I don't I don't know what's going on with your computer, but I don't think it has anything to do with Indian burial mound, but I'm gonna send your files back to you. You need to just figure out what's going on in your end, but I need to be paid. And he goes, Whoa, 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 I don't want you to send me those files back until you transcode all of them into a different format that my computer can hear all the audio on. And I was like, dude, you didn't hire me to do this. I am not responsible for transcoding any of these files. That will take a lot a lot of my time. It'll tie my computer up for a day. But he's like, hey, do it and so I can hear the audio on my computer or I'm not paying you. So I didn't want to argue with him anymore. So I transcoded all the files to um, a codec, a ProRes codec for him. And I sent the, pro the files and the hard drive back to him. And um, he saw that the audio was there when he got the fi audio files. And he contacted me and said, oh, I, I figured out what the problem was. It was actually my fault the whole time. I, uh, I think what, what the deal was is uh, Premiere has a, has a different setting than I'm used to. And so when I drug the files onto my timeline, I was only dragging one channel of audio, so I was only ever hearing the shotgun microphone. And whenever you were unplugging the shotgun microphone, I was losing that channel of audio, so there was no audio there. But it turns out it was all because I didn't have the other channels of audio on my timeline. So in the end, I guess it was my fault. <laughs> but then he's, but he goes, but, but because of the trouble of all of this and because of the time it cost me to figure this out I'm gonna pay you but I'm gonna have to take away a half day of pay for the trouble it's caused me for having to figure out how to use your camera files on Premiere and then that's what he did he sent me a check that 
did not pay me for half a day's worth of pay because of the trouble that it caused him, despite the fact that he said it was his fault in his own computer. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever heard in my life. But he knew I wasn't going to take him over to, you know, to small claims court over half a day's worth of pay. But he genuinely, even after he admitted it was his fault, he still jib- jibbed me out a half a day of pay for this. Which, by the way, this is a big part of the reason why I don't work in outdoor TV anymore, for those of you who ever want to know why. Um, but my point to all that story is, is after that project, I vowed to never take a project where I don't get to take home a copy of the files myself so that when anybody says something like that to me, I can immediately find out if I did something wrong or not. If, had I had done something wrong and the audio wasn't there, I didn't deserve to be paid. I'd send them the deposit back. But I have to be able to find out for myself if that really happened because otherwise someone could just use you for your services and then try to get out of paying you. And so this is a lesson I learned the hard way. And unfortunately, you know, I I only lost a half a day worth of pay and a bunch of my time arguing with him and transcoding files. Um, But the frustration it caused me was (laughs) was pretty intense. However, this takes me to my next lesson that I learned, and that's to always take the high road. And that's what I did with this guy. No matter how much he frustrated me, and no matter what he did to me in the end, I always treated him with respect, and I treated him kindly throughout the whole entire process. Um, I told him, you know, hey, maybe I made a mistake, and I I looked it over, and even though I told him I didn't want to transcode the files, I was still polite with him and said, okay, I'll do it, you know, and I never, like, argued with him um, and never told him that I, um, you know, was going to do anything other than take them to small claims court, but even when I did that, I handled it in a way that was like, hey, man, if you don't pay me, I'm going to have no choice but to take you to small claims court to get the money, but I didn't do it in a cussing manner. I didn't yell at him, and I handled him with respect the entire time, and even if I ran into that guy today, I would still be polite and I'd say hi to him, and the reason is is because there's no point in getting frustrated and getting mad, getting into deep arguments or anything like that, and even when you run into a problem with someone, and even if you have to talk about legal issues, you don't have to be a jerk. You can be polite the entire time, and you can take the high road. And I'm really glad I, I took the high road with him. And I can honest, honestly say that throughout that entire process, I handled it in a very responsible, very mature manner. And I never, I never yelled at him. I never uh, cussed at him or anything like that. And I'm glad I did because even though he was kind of attacking me and he was trying to get out of paying me, I still handled it in a way that, in my opinion, was a good representation of God's love for people. And that is a really important lesson that I learned because moving forward in my career, I always wanted to make sure that I tried to handle things that way so that even when people are not being what I would consider fair, I can still show them respect and show them the same type of love that God would show someone like me who's maybe doing things that are an offense to him. And so to me, that was a lesson that I learned. And I don't always take the high road on everything. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a man and I'll admit that. Um, but I do my best to. And it was, be, it was because I took the high road with this guy and I, it felt really good. And I felt afterwards like I had done the right thing. So, you know, always keep a hard copy of your Uh, of your footage if you can, you know, do everything you can to, maybe don't take the job if you can't, because you don't want to run into that issue. But if you do run into an issue like that, take the high road. The next 
thing I want to talk about, and this is number eight, is don't ever do a project without a contract. This is a lesson I have learned a couple different times, but the one I'm going to speak of in particular was I got hired a couple years ago to shoot an event for a company I'm not going to name. And this was a last minute job. They called me and said, hey, we're having an event tomorrow. I know this is last minute, but I would love to cover the event um, with a couple of shooters. And then I'd love to have you put together an event video for, um, for this event. And I knew I had like hardly any time to prepare for the job. Um, so there was no time for me in my mind to put together a proposal and a contract. I just told him a price. He said it sounded good. And he said he'd, he'd uh, meet me with the deposit the day that he called me. So I would have a deposit and um, I would spend the rest of the time just getting ready because I had basically like 15 hours to get ready for this event. So, and that was the higher second shooter and everything. So I didn't draft up a contract because I didn't think I had enough time to and he already gave me the deposit the same day so I felt pretty comfortable with it. Well, I learned that lesson the hard way because after I finished the project, I went and I shot it, put it together, had the video ready for him within a couple weeks and I sent it to him. I never heard from him again. And week after week after week went by to the point it finally hit like six weeks and he never approved the final product and he never sent me the final payment and I went up to this business and I approached the person and I asked him, I said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, I just haven't had time to get to it. I don't know when I'll get around to looking at it. And I was like, hey, man, you got to look at it. I, I went and shot the job for you and I sent you the project. I need to be paid for my work. And he told me, he's like, yeah, but I just don't have time and we don't have a contract that says when I need to get back to it, so I'll get to it when I can. And he was right. I had not given him a contract. So I had nothing to hold him to. And so I had to be at his mercy. And another like four or five weeks went by. And finally, after like nine weeks, after I finished the project and paid my second shooter and paid for the expenses out of my deposit, he finally looked at it, at it approved it, and sent me the final payment. But it was my fault because I never put together something that gave him any anything to hold him to. Now, I'm sure there are other legal ways I could have gone around to try to get that money, but I wasn't going to do that because it was my own fault. I should have gave him a contract that stated, you know, when he needed to look at the file and pay me by. And so, and that was, that's one of a few different examples. There are other times in my career where I have done projects without a contract and maybe it didn't work out quite the way I wanted. But this was the, one of the more recent ones that happened a couple years ago. And so now, even if it's a last minute job, I won't do it without a contract. And if I literally don't have the time to put together a contract before it, uh, the job comes around, then I just won't take the job. The ninth lesson that I've learned the hard way in video production is to be careful doing free work. This is kind of a sensitive subject for me. And the reason why I say that is because I had an incident with a friend um, several years ago, and I'm not afraid to kind of mention this because I it, it's happened so long ago that I don't think it really matters anymore. But I had a friend once who asked me to film his engagement, and he he said he knew he couldn't pay me, and he um, hated to ask me this, but he really wanted to have an engagement video made, and he asked if I would, as his friend, film this engagement and put together a video for him. And I told him that I would be happy to, um, but that I didn't know 
how long it would take me to get the video to him because I was going to, I was going to be leaving within a few days of his engagement to head to South Africa to do a project. And when I, I would be gone for two weeks. And then when I came back, I had a lot of editing to do and that I, it would, you know, it'd take me a little while to get to it. And he told me that was fine. You know, he didn't care. It was free. And he was just happy that I would do it for him. So I shot his engagement and then I left to go to South Africa and I came back and it was no longer, uh, a rosy relationship, to say the least. And what turns out what it was was that um, the mother-in-law was not happy with the fact that I had not taken the time to put together this video and made it, a, and that I didn't make it a priority to get it to them quickly. And she thought that um, I was being a poor friend and that I should have made that my number one priority to get the video edited and put together and handed over to them so they could post it online and show everyone how the engagement went down. Um, and she had convinced him that I had treated him poorly. And it also just so happened to be that the, the, the people that um, were involved in this, the, the guy and his now, you know, then fiance and her mother were all in a church group that I was a part of, and it became a really bad thing. And I ended up having to uh, leave the church group over it because it, it just got to be to where it was a drama that was unnecessary. Um, and so, I I hate to say don't do free work because I think that you know there's a lot of times you can do projects for people for free, whether it's for a church or if you have something you really want to do for a friend or maybe you want to do something pro bono to get exposure. So I don't want to say that doing free work is bad, but I think you should be very careful when you do it because it seems like when money and contracts change hands, a lot of times there is an incentive there to for both parties to do um, what they're supposed to do and to know what's expected. But sometimes if you do work for free, that can get a little lost. And some people might end up thinking that they're going to get one thing and maybe they don't uh, and they get upset or whatever. And because of that, I think that if you're going to do free work, just be careful with it. Make sure that you outline what's going to happen, when it's going to happen by, and that make sure that everyone completely understands that. And if, if it feels kind of iffy, then my advice is not to do it because you don't want to end up in the position that I ended up in. And it, it really hurt my wife and I, and we hated to have to leave that church group, but it ended up being what uh, took us out of there. And it was a it was an unfortunate thing, but it was a lesson that I learned. And so if you're going to do free work, just make sure that everybody understands what's going on and, and uh, just kind of be a little cautious on how you handle it. My last and tenth hard lesson I've learned, and I've learned more hard lessons than these, but these are the ten I wanted to highlight today. But my tenth hard lesson I've learned in video production is to always, always, always trust your gut. And this is not just in video production, this is in business in general, probably just in life, but always trust your gut. And the the moment I'm going to talk about is a job that I took a few years ago for a company I'm not going to name, but a big company. And Everything in my body told me not to take the job. I knew, I knew I shouldn't. I had this gut feeling that said no. There's so many red flags. But the money was great, and the company was huge. And I really wanted to take this job. And so I took it anyway, even though every fiber of my being said not to. And it went south in a hurry. 
and I lost an incredible amount of money over it. And I won't go into any of the details. I'll just say that I lost over ten, maybe even twelve thousand dollars on this project, and it was a, a real source of pain in mine and my family, and me and my family, and in my business. And at the end of the day, it was my fault. I knew better. My gut told me better, but I didn't listen to my gut. I saw the numbers and I saw the business and I took the job and I never, ever should have. And I learned that lesson the hard way. And so when you're in business and when you're filming and when you're putting together projects or, or just in everyday life, if your instinct tells you something, I would advise you to listen to it. There's probably a reason. And, you know, just trust your gut because if you don't, you may find out later on that your gut was right and your head was wrong. And that was a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. And like I said, there are other lessons that I've learned, but th- these are 10 that I really wanted to m- mention and bring up on this podcast. And yesterday while I was filming at the dentist office and was thinking about podcasts for the do for the week, this is one that kept coming back up because those lessons I had learned had uh, have led to me being a, a more well-rounded business person and a more well-rounded um, video producer. And you know, yesterday at the job I was on, those lessons allowed me to do such a great job with this company. You know, I wasn't arrogant at the job yesterday. Um, I knew all the equipment inside and out. I always was monitoring the audio where it was being recorded. So I knew that the audio was going to be recorded um, well. I had a second shooter there who was experienced, not someone who could cost me, um, could cost me the, the project looking good. I uh, wasn't afraid to be real with that person if I felt like something wasn't going the way I wanted to. Um, obviously, I kept a hard, hard copies of everything because this was a, a, a Rustic River Media production, so I was producing the entire thing. Um, but at the very least, since I, since, since I was keeping hard copies of everything, you know, I knew <laughs> that, that there was no way that I could get blamed for something not being done right. And if there was any problems to come about from yesterday, I knew that I would take a high road from, from it. And I had a contract, so I knew everything was going to go the way it was supposed to. It wasn't a free job, so I didn't have to worry about that. And I trusted my gut and took a job at the amount of money I, I felt I should take it at. And I handled this job in a way that my gut told me to. And I was able to use all these lessons to get me in a position where I could get a job like I did yesterday and where I could do a really good job with it and know that in the end, things were going to work out appropriately. So if you are into video production or really any business, this is a, these are some really good lessons to learn. But specifically in the video production business, these are some great lessons to, to learn from. And I hope that you don't have to learn some of these the hard way that I have. But I can tell you that if you do learn them the hard way, well, you'll never forget them. Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to hop on to the Filming with Josh Facebook group. And also don't forget to uh, hire me for private film lessons if there's anything you're struggling with. And I hope that you guys uh, enjoyed this podcast. It was episode number eight. And I'm looking forward to many, many more podcasts just like this. Thanks for listening, and uh, be sure to comment if you have any lessons that you've had to learn the hard way. Oh, and don't forget to rate my podcast and to become a follower. See you guys soon. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. 
Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.